Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you that you're here by your spirit. And we pray right now that you'd help me as I speak. You'd help each one of us listen to what it is that you are saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to read the passage for us. So, from verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. I don't quite know how to put this, um, but this passage is about money, and it's about eternal life. We could pretend that it's not, but it is. It's about money, and it's about eternal life. There's two messages, and those messages, they are connected. And the irony is not lost on me. I am a young man. Compared to the vast majority of the world's population, I'm a rich young man. And I have my own garden variety set of first world problems. And uh, I enjoy the finer things in life from time to time. I admit it. But I'm going to be the first to come forward for prayer at the end of this message today. And I'd like uh, you to join me as we go on a journey of what it means to follow Jesus around this area. So, where do we begin? Well, the the rich young ruler, he asked Jesus there in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's a rich young ruler who wants to get to heaven. And that's most of us, isn't it? I know that for some of us here this morning, money at the moment will be more of a, a case of, of stress than excess. But compared to the vast majority of the world, we, we do have wealth and we want to go to heaven. You know, I kept hearing the past few months different people of all different ages and stages uh, dying unexpectedly. And so eternal life, it, it matters forever and it matters today, doesn't it? So how does Jesus respond to this uh, rich young ruler? He, he says in verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, now hang on a minute. Isn't Jesus God? And God is good and Jesus is good and Jesus is God. But Jesus, he's not saying here that he's not God. What he's saying here is, well, what he's trying to do is he's, he's, he's wanting to change this man's understanding 
of what it means to be a good person. And what does he say? Uh, No one is good except God alone. And then in verse 20, he starts sort of summarizing the law. You know, those um, commandments around uh, what it means to love your neighbor. And we know that Jesus says that, that loving your neighbor and loving God, that's what the whole law is about. And then in verse 21, the, the rich young man says, yeah, 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 I've, I've kept all those since I was a boy. The Guardian columnist, Polly Toynbee, she's not exactly a fan of Christianity. And she wrote this, of all the elements of Christianity, the most repugnant is the notion of the Christ who took our sins upon himself and sacrificed his body in agony to save our souls. Did we ask him to? And that's where most of our society is, isn't it? You know, I'm not perfect, but I recycle, I pay my taxes, I hold the door open for people. Stop trying to save me. And I think a lot of this thinking is actually to do with money. Uh, this year, at, at various points, Jago and I have uh, shown uh, parts from the, the infographic Bible. It's this, this Bible that d- depicts visually uh, things about the Bible. And I keep being fascinated by this. The, the top five subjects that Jesus speaks on. The top five subjects. So number one is the kingdom of God. Number two, Father God. Number three, faith. So far, so good. It's what you'd expect from Jesus, isn't it? But then we get to number four. That's money. Before he even gets to uh, number five, which is uh, Satan or judgment or healing or prayer or salvation or miracles, any of those things, he talks about money. Because Jesus, he knows that money has the potential for a singularly destructive impact on the human soul. Why? Well, money will mess with your motives. It will make you and I selfish and ruthless and brutal. It will have a greater hold on us than we are willing to accept or admit. After all, that is the nature of addiction, isn't it? That we deny. I've, I've heard people uh, try to explain away this passage before and uh, be like Jesse J and say, it's not about the money. No doubt a song that she was paid quite handsomely for. But can we just take Jesus at face value for a moment? Can we, can we say that, that knowing Jesus and following him, it will naturally lead you to personally, proactively prioritizing the poor? And what does Jesus say in verse 22? He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the rich young ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Money is an idol that this man cannot, he will not give up in order to follow Jesus. It's taking the place of Jesus in his life. He's essentially saying, I want God in my life as long as God doesn't get in the way of this thing in my life that is actually more important to me. This is what really matters to me. And if he's going to break the hold, if he's going to break the power that money has in his life, then he's going to need to give it away. 
because he still lacks one thing. If that wasn't enough, the, the, the other issue here, the other issue with money is not just that money is an idol in this man's life, but it makes him proud. You know, if you can do anything, if, if uh, you can buy anything, if money cushions you and protects you and secures you, it can make you think, well, I'm okay, thank you very much, all by myself. Earlier in the year, I spoke on Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. This city that after a, a seismic shock, after this earthquake, that entirely flattened the city. They, they rejected the imperial grant to rebuild the city. The rich and the proud and the self-sufficient city of Laodicea. And so when in, in, if you look there in verse 24, Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've, I've looked very closely at the original Greek and I've realized that when Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, what he actually meant is, is that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you and I live in London. I'm sorry that you and I live in the West that we have wealth. It's a huge disadvantage. Sort of lulled into thinking that we're okay by ourselves. And then then if if Jesus hadn't sort of driven the the point home enough, then in verse 25, he says, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And again, I've looked at the original Greek and I've looked at the original text, and I've realized that when Jesus said that uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, what he actually meant is that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If people, they will tell you that Jesus isn't being literal here. They will tell you that there was some sort of, sort of small gate in the temple wall in uh, Jerusalem. And this, this uh, gate was very short, and this gate was called the needle's eye, and that's what Jesus is referring to here. And that if, if a camel got down on its knees, uh, which is, you know, my worst nightmare, basically, and then, uh, you know, as a tall man, and then, and then you've got to sort of somehow crouch through if you just humble yourself enough. So if you take your baggage off, if you take your luggage off, then you might be able to get through the gate, which is called the eye of the needle. Now, we know that's not true because there's actually no evidence that such a, a gate existed. Secondly, camels, they don't walk on their knees. And then in, in verse 27, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because it would be impossible for a camel to get down on its knees and go through a short gate. And it would be impossible for a camel to go through the actual eye of an actual needle. And so Jesus, he's, he's painting this stark picture here. He's saying it's just not possible. Because the people before in verse 26, they're asking, well, who can be saved? Now, they would have thought that being wealthy was a sign of God's blessing and favor on your life. So the wealthy, they're the ones that are close to God. And it's, if it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God, then what hope do the rest of us have? And Jesus is saying here it's impossible. It's impossible to get into eternal life, to be saved, to, to enter the kingdom of God by being good. I mean, 
Clearly, the, the rich young ruler, he's broken at least one of the Ten Commandments, hasn't he? Do not lie. Because none of us have fully uh, lived up to the law. And welcome to the human condition, folks. Now, you and I, we can't be good for a day, for a week, or an hour. And today, Jesus, he would say to you and me that in whatever way that you think that you're saving yourself, your money, your, your good works, whatever it may be, that that is impossible. Because the problem with sin is sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And when you're dead, you can't do a thing for yourselves. You can't contort yourself into some sort of gate. You can't earn brownie points. You still lack one thing. You know, life is not a, a moral checklist of ticking items off the list. It's recognizing that there is a debt to be paid, as we're singing about before. There is a check to be paid. And the good news is that Jesus has paid that check in full. And this was the message of Paul. Paul writes in Romans that for what the law was powerless to do, what the law was powerless to do, God did. Jesus, he has lived the good life that you and I never could. And he has traded that good, perfect life with yours and mine. And what do we get instead? We get what this man is asking for. And we get what each and every one of us is asking for. We get eternal life. So the question today is not, where are you on some kind of moral scale? But the question is, are you alive in Jesus Christ? Just beforehand, the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus, he accepts little children. And he says, you need to become like them. And Jess was saying to us last week that children, they are defenseless and dependent. And Jesus is saying to you and me, Put down your defenses to become dependent on him. To give up your pride and your independence and stop earning and start receiving. Start receiving Jesus. Start receiving Jesus like a little child. Start receiving Jesus like Zacchaeus, who we we read about in the next chapter. He's a tax collector. And that's what we see is that Jesus does the impossible. Even a rich person gets saved. So, what's the catch? Because there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? But I think something that we've got to settle in our hearts and our minds is the question of, of whether Jesus is Lord of our lives. Look at the, the, the cost that the disciples count here. In verse 28, they're counting the cost of following Jesus. And Peter says, we have left all we had to follow you. And, and Peter, he would have left his income, he would have left his identity, his family, to follow Jesus Christ. You know, I'm, I'm hardly slumming it. Uh, but I come from Australia. And do you think my family don't notice when I'm not 
there when there's an empty seat at the Christmas table year after year after year. But the thing is, they recognize, and I recognize, I'm, I'm following Jesus Christ, and part of his call on my life, following Jesus, has led me here. And it's my joy, and it's my privilege to be here. And one day, we will make up for it in heaven. But me doing what I'm doing, or you doing what you're doing, those things, they're, they're, they're not earning your salvation. They're a response to our salvation. And so Jesus, he says in verse 29, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Today he might be saying to you that there's an idol. There's an idol of money. It's present reality in your life or the lack of thereof there might be an idol of of family or of reputation or of status and these are things that our society holds as sacred and sacrosanct but Jesus he, he will not come second place to these things in our lives Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all Is he the Lord of your money? Is he the Lord of your relationships? Is he the Lord of your career? Or are you you looking to these things to, to give you purpose and meaning and to fulfill you? How do we? How do you and I, how do, we, how do we hold very, very lightly to the things of this world and, and hold very, very tightly to Jesus Christ? Well, it's, it's not by the law. Jesus makes that very clear here. It's not by being a good person. It's by following Jesus Christ. And that he will, as you follow him, that is the call in this passage, is to follow Jesus. As you follow him, he will lead you to the specifics of what he wants you to do with your money and your possessions and your stuff. What does Zacchaeus do in chapter 19? Well, Zacchaeus, he gives away half of his possessions to the poor. And he says, if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And this is not kingdom restriction. This is kingdom freedom. You know, he, he hilariously, he freely, he abundantly gives out of what he has because he sees Jesus for who he is. And he sees that Jesus is the best life that there is. Now, our society thinks that freedom is getting to do what you want when you want. But real freedom, real freedom is not the freedom to be wrapped up in yourself but to be free to, to love God and to, to love the people around you. And so when Jesus is speaking about eternal life, yes, he's, he's speaking about eternity, but it's not just a, a ticket to heaven. It's a, it's a quality of life. It's a freedom of life that is on offer to us now that stretches into eternity. You and I, 
We're made for more. How do you inherit this life? How do you inherit this quality and this quantity of eternal life? Well, let Jesus take all the weight. Do not supplement Jesus with with things and, and try to earn your way with other things. Rosie, our, our children and families minister, she said that when she was teaching in Zambia, this passage was still relevant. Because people are people, right? And, you know, the figures were very, very different there. But people still had relative wealth and status in relation to other people. And for some people this morning, Trusting Jesus with, with what little you have, that will be the message for you to take home today. But whatever it is, there are things that get in the way of Jesus being the center of our lives, being the, the pride of place in our lives. We might have given our lives to Jesus, but then very quickly returned to the ways of the world, adding self-righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus. And pride and and self-sufficiency, they creep in, and these things, they insulate you from Jesus. But Jesus, he's facing your and my self-sufficiency head on. And he's saying that, that he wants to be at the center of our lives. He wants to live in our hearts. Jesus, he's interested in your heart. So what is occupying your heart this morning? our very own uh, William Wilberforce, uh, he said that uh, prosperity hardens the heart. Prosperity hardens the heart. He was a man who knew wealth, and he knew that it can harden you. It can harden you to Jesus. But he won the battle over wealth in his heart. Not like this rich young ruler. Not like the rich young ruler who walks away sad. His, his prosperity, it hardened his heart. And all his good works, all his no doubt upright living, all of his money could not buy his way into heaven. He still lacked one thing. The biggest danger of our lives is not of failing but it's succeeding at things that don't really matter. I don't want to spend my life succeeding at things that are of no eternal significance or value, of treasuring things that are below, that will fade and will die and will disappoint me. Because if we have everything, if we have everything that this world affords and yet we do not have Jesus, we still lack one thing. And we're spiritually bankrupt. And amidst the brittleness and the the hardness that is hardwired into our culture, our ongoing need is to stay soft to Jesus. Always wanting more of him, always being hungry for Jesus, living only ever all for Jesus Christ. But how does that happen? Well, whatever you do, Whatever you do, do not walk away sad this morning. 
Do not walk away sad like this rich young ruler. We are not the people who get a kick out of hearing challenging messages, who cry a little, nod our heads, and then walk home with a tail between our legs. That's not going to help anyone. We're not the people that look miserable and gloomy and age before our time, who come to church or listen to podcasts to feel like we've heard a hard message. That is not us. The gospel is good news. And that's what the gospel means. It means good news. And so come to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning with your weakness. Do not come to Jesus this morning like this rich young man boasting in all his accomplishments and his achievements. But come to Jesus boasting in your weakness. Because complete weakness and depending on God will always be the setting for God to come in power by his Holy Spirit. We are not people of the law, but we are people of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives life. And so if there is sadness, let godly sorrow lead to repentance. Let it lead to transformation, to change your thinking, to to action. It's asking God through the power of his Holy Spirit to do what is impossible with us, but is possible with God. To, to, To do whatever it is, whatever it takes, to put him first. To destroy the idol of money. To to tear down whatever idol it may be that is preventing us from loving God with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength and depending totally and utterly on him. For we are followers of Jesus. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. You and I were made for more. There's another rich young ruler in this passage, isn't there? Jesus, he's only 31 or 32 years old. And of, his, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he had wealth that made all the world's wealth look like tinfoil. And he gave it all up for this rich young ruler. He gave it all up for you and he gave it all up for me. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus, he's paid it all. And we get all the riches. And as our culture becomes increasingly pharisaical and self-righteous and judgmental about what it means to be a good person, we can look to the cross and hear Jesus say the words that it is finished. Jesus, he didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. He was stripped of his clothes, his dignity, his relationship with the Father, and he entered a poverty beyond anything that you or I could ever imagine. Mark says that Jesus looked at the rich young man and he loved him. 
And that is the way that he looks at you this morning. That is the way that he looks at me. He looks at us and he loves us. And it was because he loved us that he left heaven. It was because he loved us that he became poor. Jesus, he wants what is best for you. And he wants what is best for me. Because you and I were made for more. So do not look for things that will not feed you and will not fulfill you and will not last. Whatever you give up, you will not fail to receive many times as much. The missionary, Jim Elliott, who who lost his life for the gospel, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You cannot lose Jesus Christ. And you cannot outgive him. What you get is nothing less than Jesus Christ, Jesus himself. He is your treasure. He is your reward. He is your eternal life. Amen.